I'm one of the pastors here, and welcome to week two of Written on Our Hearts. And right inside of your bulletin should be some message notes. If you want to go ahead and grab those and take those out, there'll be some fill in the blanks. You can fill that out as we go along. We also want to say welcome to those of you watching in the parent viewing room this morning. It's a great place to take little ones if they get fussy during the service. Rate Pastor Donuts and Coffee. There's a room there that you can watch the service live with us. Well, last week we kicked off this series talking all about the importance of this text that God has sent us and how it's applicable, applicable even for our lives today. And I would encourage you, if you weren't here last week, to jump online, riverwaychurch.com, go under Sunday services and listen online to last week to kind of bring you up to speed. Um, now, for those of you this morning that maybe would say, I don't believe the Bible, and uh, maybe it's because you've never read it, you know, kind of like, you know, when you were five and you were like, I don't like carrots, and even though you've never tried it, and you're like, why don't you like carrots? Just because I don't, right? And so now that you're an adult, I would encourage you that you owe it to yourself to read the Bible for yourself, to understand what it would say to you, and then determine what you believe or don't believe. Uh, there's also some of us in this room that have grown up around church or had the Bible as part of your life or part of your upbringing. And your life, as you've grown into adult, has been shaped by what other people have said that the Bible says. And every day you're making decisions based on other people's view of what the Bible says rather than your own. And I would just encourage you that you owe it to yourself to know what the Bible says for your life so that you could apply it as well. And as we said last week, there are many people that say, well, I don't like to read the Bible because it's too hard to understand or I don't have enough time. And we kind of talked through some of those excuses uh, last week. Uh, but one piece of information that I do believe makes it kind of challenging to understand the Bible is that the Bible as we have it today is not in chronological order. It's not in the order in which it all took place. And so I, that's why I don't recommend people like read the Bible. If you're going to say, oh, I'm going to read the whole Bible, you know, and we're just going to start in the front and end in the back. I would not recommend doing that because while Genesis and Exodus are kind of exciting and interesting, by the time you get to Deuteronomy uh, and Leviticus, you're going to give up altogether and not really like your life that much, okay? And so I would encourage you to not read it um, all together from front to back. Um, but we're going to talk about a different way that you could read it today. And so we've got some fill-ins, and we're going to go in kind of quick because we have a lot of uh, information, and so you're going to be kind of on your own with all these fill-ins, but I know you guys are ready, right? Say yes. yes. And are you excited? Say yes. yes. All right, so here we get into it. The Bible, this is important to understand, the Bible is much more like a library than it is a book, right? For many of us, we just look at the Bible and we say, oh, it's just a book. Well, actually, it's a library because it's a collection of 66 books or 66 manuscripts or documents that have been put together and compiled for us to read today. That is how we have the Bible. You remember last week we talked about David and how he wrote the book of Psalms. And we said up until that point, he only had the first seven books of the Bible that were written hundreds of years before he was ever born. But here we have all 66 books that have been compiled together for us to read. Now here's the most amazing thing about the Bible. It's your next fill-in that the oldest manuscripts were written by Moses about 1,400 years before Christ. And the most recent ones were written by the Apostle Paul somewhere around uh, 68 AD, which means that the literature in the Bible spans over 1,500 years, if you can believe that. 1,500 years from the beginning to the last manuscript that we have. And not only is that amazing, but we have over 40 separate authors that contributed to this time, spanned out over 1,500 years, that all tell one story of redemption. One story. And it's the story of God reaching out to us 
to redeem his creation, the story that begins in Genesis with creation, ends in Revelation with Christ's return and beyond for eternity. This is a story of epic proportions that would include every amazing twist uh, in turn in literature that you can even imagine, all while having the power to transform a human heart. That's amazing. Now, I've heard people say before, well, I don't think the Bible's true, right? And I'm always a little bit confused uh, by that statement because I want to ask, well, what part of the Bible don't you think is true? Do you not think that Moses didn't write what he wrote 1,500 uh, years before Christ, or 1,500 years uh, at the very beginning of our collection of books? Do you not believe the Proverbs and the Psalms are really like songs and had words of advice? Do you believe that Solomon never wrote those things? Uh, do you not believe in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Do you believe that they all lied about Jesus? Like what part of the Bible don't you believe is true? Because there's many people that would just look at it as one book and I don't believe it. But in actuality, it's 66 different books written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years, right? That's pretty amazing. And so as you begin to understand the Bible, uh, you might know that there is an Old Testament and a New Testament. It's, the Bible's broken up into two parts. And do you know what the word testament means? Does anybody know what the word testament means? Testament means covenant. That's what it means, all right? And that's right in your notes there, so you can write that in. Covenant. Um, and so what we have is we have the Old Covenant, which is the story of ancient Israel. And then we have the New Covenant, which is the story of ancient church. So you might remember, covenant is just another word, like first promise, right? And so you remember like back in the days when uh, God flooded the earth and there was Noah and the ark. And God made a covenant with Noah. What was that covenant? Do you remember? To never flood the earth again. Remember, that was a covenant that God made with Noah. And God made covenant with Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars. And so you have these covenants, these promises that God made with people in the uh, ancient Israel. Then Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus sat with his followers and he said, I'm about to change things up with my death and resurrection. Whereas before you had to sacrifice an animal and release its blood to cover your sin... Jesus sat down and said, listen, I am now going to become the final sacrifice and the shedding of my blood is going to be enough to cover your sin for here and into eternity. It's going to be enough. And so Jesus was changing the whole ballgame and it was going to change the relationship that God had with humanity. And so because of that, there was a new promise or a new covenant, which means that all the old covenants are old, right? So you have the old covenant or the Old Testament, and then the new covenant or the new testament that Jesus made with us, right? So did you learn something there? Was that good? All right, you learned something, right? This is good. Now, on your way in today, you should have gotten a card that looks just like this. Could everyone take this out for me? If you didn't get one, raise your hand wildly and an usher will come and bring you one. All right, everyone pull, pull this out. And we're just going to turn up the lights just for a quick second. And uh, so guard your eyes, okay? And I want you to take a look real quick at this card where it says Old Testament and New Testament. Is everyone on that side? And what you're going to see is that the Old Testament is broken up into four categories. You have law, history, poetry, and prophecies, all right? Now, the Old Testament here, this list and order that you have is exactly what you would find in your Bible. If you turn to the table of contents, this is exactly the order that you would find. However, it is not chronological, which means it did not, this is not the order in which everything took place, all right? And so here in the Old Testament... You've got all those things uh, broken up into those four categories. So then I want you to flip that card over to where it says chronological order of the Old Testament. 
Now, if you look right in the middle, there's kind of a middle bar that goes all the way across, right? And I really hope this will help us to understand the Bible just a little bit more as we read it. So right at the beginning, you have Genesis and Exodus. Everybody with me? Say yes. Okay, so you should be horizontal right now. Okay, horizontal. Good. Chronological order. Genesis and Exodus, right? Now, this is the order in which it actually happened. So if you wanted to read the story of Israel and what happened, this is the order of books that you would read it in. Genesis, Exodus, and then you would skip to Numbers, Joshua, Judges, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, Ezra, and Nehemiah. If you were to read just those books, you would read the entire story of ancient Israel and what took place. Now, here's what's so cool. And this is, you can see above it and below it, there's all sorts of other books that are mixed in. Everybody see that? Say yes. Okay, perfect. All right. So I want to liken it, example, maybe this way. How many of you are good at uh, keeping photo books and taking pictures and that kind of thing? Let me see your hands. How many of you like to do that kind of thing? Okay, there's three of you preserving memories. That's great. Okay, only three of you. Awesome. All right. This middle column right here is much like a photo book. If you were to take a snapshot of everything that happened throughout Israel in the Old Testament, this is what you would read. You would read the actual story, like the exciting storyline. You'd be flipping the pictures just like you do. Maybe you made an album of last summer and when you went on vacation, you know, and now someone had their 40th birthday party and they accidentally spit on the cake and, no, you know, I mean, those kind of things. And they're like, oh, pictures of the cake, people's faces, right? And so you have all these pictures of your summer. Maybe it was when your first born, you know, first one was born or maybe Maybe it was when you got married and you have all these pictures, right, that would chronologically, you could look at your life from beginning to end looking at pictures. This is what the middle column here represents, like a photo. It's a snapshot of everything that happened in the story of Israel. Now, here's part two. How many of you are journalers? You like to journal and write down your thoughts and deep thoughts. Okay, one, two. Okay, so we have three keeping memories, two journalers. All right, this is not looking good for us. All right. These other books, what they are, is a compliment or an in-depth look at the books that you are reading, okay? So I liken it like this. If this were the photo book, the rest of these books are like the journal that would accompany the photo book. So if you took a journal along with those pictures and the 40th birthday party and you really journaled, everybody was there, you know, and the in-law that was there that you hoped they wouldn't do that one thing that you wished they always did and they didn't, right? And so you're writing detailed accounts of, oh, so-and-so was sick or I felt this way or I saw this way, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So if you took detailed notes and attached it to your pictures, that would be exactly what these supporting books do for the main theme throughout the Bible, right? Got that? Does everyone make sense? Does that make, kind of make sense? Let me give you an example. Everyone look down and look at 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel, in the main drag there, that is where we pick up the story of David, King David, and his life. And in that story, we read about David and Bathsheba and the affair that he had with her, Okay. Now, what's cool is that you look below there, you see the little line, and you'll see the book of Psalms. Why? Because David wrote the book of Psalms. And in chapter 51 of Psalms, you read the prayer of repentance that David prayed after he had an affair with Bathsheba, right? So here, in the story of 2 Samuel, you get the story, and you're like, oh, man, that's not a good story. But then when you get to Psalm 51, you begin to understand the heart and the meaning and the emotion of what was going on in David's life when all of this took place. Right? So again, it's like a a journal. It's like a deep understanding of everything else that you're already reading. All right, next example, uh, we just go one book over to 1 Kings, and you'll see Solomon. And Solomon was one of the greatest kings that ever lived. Um, And underneath there, you'll see the line down Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. That's because Solomon wrote those books. In fact, the Bible says that he was the wisest man that ever lived. And that was the book of Proverbs. If you read Proverbs, it's a bunch of advice for your life that you can apply. 
Solomon wrote that. And then Ecclesiastes, that book is all about Solomon kind of like just indulging himself in everything that's available and how that impacts your life. And then lastly, the Song of Solomon. The whole book is about sex. And it's very graphic and detailed. In fact, the Jewish boys of this time could not even read that book until they got married. Right? That's intense. So for some of you, you might want to start right on Song of Solomon. That might be a good place to begin if you're going to read the Bible. That'd be a good place. Um, All right. And, And so you can kind of see how this is kind of a journal of everything else that's taking place in the main drag there. Now, next to 2 Kings, what do you see after that? What does it say? 70 years of exile. You know what this means? It means God got really ticked off with the leaders and kicked them all out of Israel and said, you're all in a long time out until you learn some lessons that I want you to learn. And so for 70 years, they're out. But what's cool is that right above it, you see Daniel and Ezekiel. And Dan, these, these books were written to really describe what was happening in the mind and heart of God during this time when he kicked out all these leaders, right? Then next to it is Ezra. Ezra is, the book is all about God bringing those leaders that were in a timeout, bringing them back into Israel. That, that's what God did. It, that's what the book of Ezra is about. Then above that, you see Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And these guys gave future prophecies that are yet to come. Future prophecies, way out into the future. And we'll talk about more of that in a second. And then Nehemiah is the last prophecy, right? And so this little thing, I'm really hoping, will help you. I want you to keep this. We made it color for you, and it's on cardstock, and so you keep it in your Bible. I think this thing will really help you in reading and understanding how the Bible lays itself out. When you think about this, 40 authors, over 1,500 years, 66 books, there is not another piece of literature like this in all of human history. Nothing with as much detail as this book right here. It's just an absolutely amazing piece of work that we have. And you can go ahead and kill that lights. Thanks so much. So you're filling, uh, goes along with what I was just saying. You're filling there, says no other piece of literature gives you this kind of picture along with this much detail to explain what's going on in the minds and hearts of the people involved. Now, after Nehemiah, Nehemiah comes the end. It's the end of the Old Testament. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are 400 years. How many years? How many years between the Old Testament and the New Testament? 400 years. Your next fill-in. After Nehemiah, there's a 400-year gap until the New Testament, which means there is silence from God during this time. In other words, this whole time, God has been speaking through prophets and kings, and all of this has been written down, and finally we get to Nehemiah at the end, and suddenly there's nothing. God goes dark for 400 years. Now, here's what's interesting about this. If you remember middle school or high school, do you remember studying about the Persians, right, and the Greeks and Romulus and Remus? Do you remember all that, right, as you studied that? All of that, the, rose, the, the, um, the rise of Rome and the empire that they were, all of that took place during that 400-year span. All of it. I mean, which is amazing to think, right? 400 years is a very long time. God makes all of these promises, then everything goes dark, And the Jewish people are waiting for the prophecies that Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi made. They're waiting for the prophecies to come true. Ten years goes by. Twenty years goes by. Fifty years goes by. A hundred years go by. And nothing. 
Not a word from God. 150 years go by. 200 years. I mean, lifetimes have gone by. And suddenly people are tempted to think, maybe all of this was not true. Maybe it was all made up. Maybe, I mean, you know, we're at 300 years since the last prophecy, since the last spoken word. 300 years later, maybe our parents just made up these stories so we'd behave better. Maybe they made up the story of David and Goliath to inspire us to be Davids and go kill our Goliaths. We don't know, but all we know is that nothing is happening. And during this time, the people are still going through the motions, still killing the animals, making the sacrifices for their sins, but they have heard zilch, nada, nothing from God. They think it must have been a legend. It must have been made up. And then, after 400 years of silence, the fulfillment comes by way of an angel who appears to a teenage girl named Mary. And the angel says to Mary, after 400 years, Mary, we're about to start this thing back up. Here we go. And it all begins with you. And you're going to give birth to a son. And you're going to name him Jesus. And he will be the savior of the world. And suddenly in that moment, even though 400 years had passed, it was this as if God did not miss a beat. And the way the Old Testament ended, the New Testament picked right up. Because you know what's so amazing is the prophecies that were in Haggai, Zechariah. You know what they prophesied? They prophesied that a Messiah would be coming. Check this out. I want you to look at this verse in Malachi 3.1. It says this, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant. Remember when Jesus made the new covenant? The messenger of that covenant, whom you desire, will come, says the Lord Almighty. This was at the end of of the Old Testament. This scripture, this prophecy was given right before the 400 years started. And then we had to wait 400 years for the fulfillment of it. But it was as if Malachi was saying this, and it's your next fill-in. He looked into the future and said, don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. The Lord you've been waiting for will appear. And 400 years later, Mary is pregnant, ready to give birth to Jesus, and at the same time, her cousin Elizabeth Her relative Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. Do you remember that? The one who would prepare the way of the Lord. And you look in the New Testament, and here's John the Baptist who comes out of the wilderness all crazy looking. He's like, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Everybody get ready. The Messiah is coming. You don't want to miss this. People are thinking he's a little bit nuts, a little bit crazy. But here's the thing. If John the Baptist was lying, why wouldn't you lie about something current, Right? Why would you pick up a lie, right, that was over 400 years old that everybody had forgotten about? And all of a sudden, here's John the Baptist screaming, prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the way of the Lord. He's coming. The Messiah's been coming. You want to be ready. You don't want to miss this. All the prophecies are coming true. Get ready. Everything they prophesied 400 years ago, it's about to go down right now. 
And while John the Baptist is in the water, and he's baptizing, right? And he looks up on the shore, and he sees Jesus. And he says to everyone there, behold, the Lamb of God. Right? We know you're all familiar with lambs because you sacrifice them all the time for your own sacrifice. You kill them, shed his blood. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. Wow. What an amazing thought. And there's Jesus. Suddenly, the fulfillment has come true. And this is the story of your redemption and my redemption And you and I owe it to ourselves to know and understand this amazing story. We owe it to ourselves to understand the text that God has given us. That is the ability to impact our very lives. That is the ability to impact our marriages. That has the ability to impact our families and our future. Well, Ryan, you know, there's lots of religions in the world. How do you know Christianity is the one? Let me tell you something right now. You show me any other religion that has the breadth of years, knowledge, writers, and amount of prophecies that have come true, you won't find it because it doesn't exist. There is nothing like the Bible. There is nothing like the 66 books that have been collected. 40 different authors over 1,500 years that connects all of it into one story. One story of redemption for you and for me. Now, real quick, in our last closing moments, I just want to explain a little bit of the New Testament, okay? And so if we can get those lights one more time. And if you flip that card back over to where it says New Testament, and what you're going to see on that card is it's only broken down into a couple things. You have the Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Two of them were eyewitnesses to everything that happened. Two of them interviewed eyewitnesses, right? So they were like on the scene. This didn't happen hundreds of years later, passed down from generation to generation. They were like on the scene when they wrote the Gospels. Then the only book that falls under history is Acts. And here's why Acts is important, and I believe that everyone should read the whole book of Acts. Because Acts covers the 30 years after Jesus' death, right? This is the the launch of Christianity. This is when everything began to happen and the disciples went out to begin to spread the word about Jesus. Then what follows are 21 letters. These letters simply support everything that happened in Acts, okay? So let me give you an illustration. In the book of Acts, when Paul the apostle visited the church in Ephesus, if you go down on letters, about five down, you're going to see the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is the letter that Paul wrote to the people in Ephesus. When he went and visited them in Acts, this was the letter that he gave to them. And so all of these letters simply support everything that took place after Jesus' death and resurrection that you read about in the book of Acts. Then lastly is the book of prophecy. This is Revelation. Now, this book was written by John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, same John. He was exiled to the island of Patmos, and there he was on that island. And during that time, John received a revelation. He he received this prophecy and this vision of what was yet to come. Things that still have not yet even taken place in our lifetime. You can go ahead and kill those lights. Thanks so much for that. This prophecy includes Jesus Christ returning again one day. It's called the rapture. And John prophesied of this in Revelation and said that one day Jesus is coming back for all who believe in him and he's going to take them back to heaven with them. 
And not only that, but God is going to restore humanity and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And God is going to wipe every tear away from every eye and there will be no more sin and no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sickness. And it's yet to come. Now, the problem is is that we are in this period of waiting. Just like the people after Nehemiah were waiting for 400 years. We are in a place with prophecies that are still yet to come. And the temptation for us could be. It's just a myth. Really didn't happen that way. I mean, Jesus said he was going to return and he hasn't. I mean, how much longer do we have to wait? I wonder if any of this is true. I wonder if it's made up. I wonder if our parents are just telling us all this so that we'll behave better, right? And yet all the while, just as God was faithful, your next fill-in, after those 400 years, we can live today with confidence that what the new covenant tells us really will happen and we can live our lives accordingly. We can have confidence. Just like the Jewish people that were waiting for the fulfillment of prophecy, so we will wait on the fulfillment of prophecy and believe that Jesus Christ really is coming back. And the prophecy given in the, in the book of Revelation by John, it really is yet to come. And we can live our lives according to that way. And maybe you'd say, well, Ryan, the, the book of the Bible is just written by a bunch of men. And you would be exactly right. However, 40 men who did not know each other over 1,500 years that wrote the same story, right? It actually makes our case more amazing and way more incredible. We're not talking about one guy under a tree saying, oh, I'm just going to write a little prophecy here, right? We're not talking about three buddies in a room that says, hey, if you write that, I'll write this. We're not talking about that. We're talking about 40 people over 1,500 years that all point to the same Jesus and the same story. And we have that text today available to us to read and understand it. Your last villain, God himself had this text inspired so that we could have the confidence of what we believe. The Bible says that scripture is God-breathed, every single last bit of it, that God Breathe that into these men who wrote it on these pages. What an amazing thought. That's why many skeptics over the years have picked up this collection of books, hoping to disprove it. And their life has been changed forever by understanding a Jesus who predicted his own death and resurrection and whose life and story even changed the very city in which he was condemned to die and that being the city of Rome. And about 15 years ago, I had the incredible privilege of traveling to Rome. And the amount of history that is there, I mean, you can't even imagine. I mean, what, what's America, 230-some, 39 years old? You're talking thousands of years in the making. And as I stood in the very Colosseum where Christians were murdered for their faith, put in an arena with lions and tigers and ripped limb by limb and Christians set on fire because of this message that they were trying to get out, that Jesus Christ came to seek and save that who was lost. 
that he really did die and he really rose again. And all throughout Rome, I mean, everywhere you go, there's crosses and crucifixes and churches built. And I mean, you can't imagine the biblical history that's there. And if you were to go back 2,000 years ago to first century Rome and speak to Tiberius Caesar, the Roman emperor, and you were to say to him, sir, what are the odds that one day in the future, this city, all-powerful Rome, will be landscaped with crosses everywhere as a memory and history of a man named Jesus that you put to death? What are the odds, Tiberius, that one day Rome's buildings will be nothing more but a testament everywhere you go to the followers who gave their lives for Jesus Christ, a carpenter that you had killed. What are the odds? You know what he would say? He would say it never happened. And yet on my visit to Rome, I sat in the very prison where the apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians. And the whole book's on joy in any circumstance. And here he is in a dungeon of a prison writing a book on joy. As I sat there and took it all in, I couldn't imagine that this is where the people really walked and lived. These are where disciples gave their lives for Christ so that this message could exist 2,000 years later. And all of Rome, the very city where he was condemned, has been now transformed and become the Christian capital of the world. What are the odds? How do you explain it? You can't, other than recognizing that it's not just a book. It's real, and it's living, and has the ability to change our lives if we'll let it. And so maybe today for you, you would allow your heart to be open to the Bible in a way that it's never been opened before. Maybe you haven't read it in years. Maybe you've never read it. Maybe you've never cracked it open. And my heart's desire is to do everything in my power over these next couple weeks to get you to read your Bible and to open it because it's that life-changing. And I'm hoping this card will help you understand the chronological view and how you can read it and the books that support it. To understand how important Acts is and the letters that follow. Or maybe you'd be here today and you'd be ready to open your life to Christ. Maybe you've been on a faith journey a long time and had a lot of questions, and today you're ready to cross the starting line of faith. What I want us to do is just pray for a few seconds. So would you mind just closing your eyes all over this room? And I just want us to take 30 seconds, and maybe you're in that spot of ready to accept Jesus Christ into your life. And you could just pray and ask him to forgive you of your sin. And ask him to be the leader of your life. that you believe that he did die and rose again for you. Or maybe today you'd be here and say, I'm ready to open my heart to the Bible in a way that I haven't in a long time. I'm ready to make that step. I'm ready to let the power of these 66 books impact my life and my future. And so wherever you're at this morning, can we just take 30 seconds for you to talk to God and God to talk to you? Let's do that right now.
God, we thank you that you have given us this text, this collection of 66 books that our lives might be forever changed by it. And it would show us and teach us how to become more like you. It would give us greater success in life than we've ever had to bring us more joy and fulfillment and peace by understanding what you're trying to say to us. So as we open it this week, as we read it for ourselves and we take a collective deep breath and slow down, may you, the God of all creation, the one who breathed the inspiration of these words into men's hearts, would you speak to us through the passages that we're about to read? Would you allow your word to come alive to us? That you would cause our hearts a strong desire to make the time and effort to open your word and let it change our lives. And may we be forever changed by it. In Jesus' name.